We all have these ideas, we all have this vision, uh, this, this preferred picture of what we want our life to look like. Uh, like the Yankees winning the World Series once again. And somehow that dream gets shattered. And then, so what are you going to do? And for me, I moved to plan B. I'm rooting for the Vikings tonight. So I, I've, I've, quickly, I've quickly moved on. Uh, but sometimes we have these, what, what do you do when this dream that you're trying to run down, this, this, this thing that you think that God's called you to, and all of a sudden that dream gets shattered? Uh, and you, you feel that dreams slipping away and uh, you know, maybe it's you know marriage You know you, you thought that you're going to get married and it didn't happen or you're in this marriage and, and, and it's not happening anymore And you know your kids and you thought you're gonna have perfect kids and all of a sudden your kids You're, you're, you're getting called to school or you know Detention or whatever it is or you had this this career and you thought you're gonna have purpose and fulfillment through your career Only find out that that has slipped away and maybe it's health issues you thought that, you know, at my age, I shouldn't be having the stuff that's going on with me. And everybody else is getting the house that they want. Everybody else has the beautiful marriage. Everybody else is having beautiful kids, and, and their kids seem to be perfect. And, and everybody else is making, you know, doing well in their career and, and making their, their life and their dreams come true. And, and everybody else seems to be healthy, everybody but me. And things aren't turning out the way I thought, and the expectations that I thought about, I had about life, uh, aren't. And when that happens, our emotions are very, are very powerful. You know, what do you do when God doesn't show up the way you thought God was going to show up uh, for you? And because our emotions get so powerful, sometimes it leads us to drink too much. Sometimes it leads us to say too much, spend too much. Uh, um, and what happens is because we take our faith and we wrap it up in a dream, and when that dream comes un unraveled, so does our, our faith. Like I said, we're in this series called Plan B, and we're talking about what do you do when you feel like your life is shattered? What do you do when you're living with unmet expectations? What do you do when God doesn't show up for you the way that you thought God was going to show up for you? Last week, we talked about David and we're going to come back to David next week, uh, and it's going to be kind of an interesting story, because it's kind of opposite of what he did last week, because we talked about last week that he had this dream. He was anointed at a very young age to be king. And uh, as he went about uh, that, uh, he found out that his dream was slipping away because it didn't turn out the expectations the way that he thought it would. And so because of that, because his faith was so tied up in his dream and everything else, and emotions got the best of him, he found himself manipulating situations. He found himself lying, that his dream was slipping away. Um, you know, the hope that he had was slipping away, and... and uh, found out that he was being threatened and he felt like God was even a threat to him at points and, and so then there became an issue of trust and control in his life and, and he was going to take control of his life because nobody else could control it he didn't think God was doing the job that he needed to do so David decided I'm going to do it myself um, and we talked last week that, that uh, one, of the, one of the principles we said don't abandon your God-given values in pursuit of your God-given dreams and maybe you could say it like this, don't abandon your God-given principles to maintain the blessing of God. Because sometimes we hold on so tight to things and we abandon those things that God has given us because we think we're going after a dream that God has given us and we grab on tight to it and it ends up slipping through our fingers. So don't abandon your God-given values in pursuit of your God-given dreams. We also get ourselves in all kinds of trouble, we said last week, when we assume, <laughs> and you know what happens when you assume, right? 
Uh, you're wrong. <laughs> That's, you know, I, I could say it another way, but I'm not allowed from saying those words anymore. Um, Bill can. Come 4 o'clock service, Bill says those words, and you, anything goes at, when Bill speaks, I guess. <sighs> let it go, let it go. Anyway, we get ourselves into a trouble when we assume God must think and feel as we do. Big time trouble when we assume that. Because God doesn't always think and feel the way we do. Today I want to introduce you to another guy from the Old Testament. This is one of my favorite stories. I've told this story several times. And a few years ago, again, another guy that I just respect, Andy Stanley, uh, he, he told the story in such a way that it just really impacted me. And he had this book uh, that came out uh, a few years ago called The Biggest Question Ever. And the whole thing is based on this question. But this guy in the Old Testament is Joseph. And we learned an incredible lesson uh, from Joseph on how to deal with the ups and the downs of life. How to deal with the good news, bad news of life. How to deal, if you look at Joseph's life, it's almost like whiplash. Because uh, something good happens, all of a sudden something bad happens. And, and Joseph, he knows all about plan B's. His life, when you read it, is a series of plan B's. It's almost unbelievable. But then again, you've probably been there yourself. Um, maybe you're not quite as many times as as Joseph has, but you recognize that whiplash feeling, that good news feeling, that, that you know, the rug's, rug's been pulled out of you type of feeling, season of life, when you feel like things couldn't get much better, things are so, so good, only to transition to the bad news period. You know, maybe it's something like you prayed for a particular job, and you were thrilled when you finally got it, only to find out that your boss was a jerk, uh, and it made your life miserable. Maybe you're celebrating the fact that you finally got pregnant after years and years and years of trying and years of praying, and you, and you got pregnant. You're so excited for that, only to miscarry a few weeks later. Maybe you stood there um, at an altar, staring, gazing into the eyes of someone you thought you would be with for the rest of your life, but something happened, and now you're just staring at the same person's eyes across the courtroom. What do you think our response um, is to be when we go from good news part of our life into the bad news seasons where everything seems to be falling apart? From our, our desired plan A to a plan B that we've never even asked for or we never even wanted. What do you think our response should be? And I think there is a question that, that can lead us into a deeper, more intimate relationship with God if if we have the guts to ask. And here's the question, here, and here, here's the best question ever that Andy Stanley poses. Here it is. You ask this question when you're in your plan B of life, and you're able to answer it, it will get you through. Here it is. What would you do if you were absolutely confident God was with you? What would you do if you're absolutely confident in your plan B in your life, if you're absolutely confident that God is with you, if you're absolutely confident that pocket Jesus was there with you, and I had to pull him on at some point, if you're absolutely confident that God was with you, what would you do? Or what, what you know, say your marriage is unraveling, and you're hitting the panic button on your marriage, what would you do if you're confident that God was with you? 
or your kids are running from God and, and you're losing sleep each night worrying about your kids, what would you do if you were confident that God was with you? Or suppose you go to the doctor to get a few symptoms checked out only to find out that you might have cancer. What would you do if you were confident that God was with you? Let me give you the answer. You would see God in and in the midst of those circumstances. That's it. Amen. We can go home. But we have some scripture to look at. So this is bad news, good news scripture. And to keep you awake during this, I'm going to have you participate. What I'm going to do is I'm going to draw a line right here. Right here. So this half over here and this half over here. And what I'm going to do, just looking at you, I, you guys are the good news people. So... Yeah, so when I, when I read something and it's good news, I'll point to you and you say, good news. And you guys, it kind of goes like, you guys are the bad news people. And you know, yeah, you know who you are. And so when I, when I, uh, when I look over here and you guys say, bad news, all right? Because this, this is, this is, I want to point out and illustrate to you in Joseph's life, this good news, bad news type of thing that seems to happen in his, in his life. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 37. And uh, some of it I'm going to read to you, some of it I'm just going to kind of you know, tell you a little bit about it. But um, Genesis chapter 37, we're going to begin in, uh, I think, verse 3. Uh, and it says this, Now Israel, and Israel, his name was Jacob. Uh, God changed his name. Um, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in an old age, and he made him a richly ornamented robe for him. Good news! When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. There you go. You guys got it. So we got this conflict set up. You have, a, you have a tattletale in Joseph. If you know Joseph's story, he had these dreams all the time. And instead of kind of, you know, saying, yeah, maybe I shouldn't say that, he doesn't hold back. There's no filter. He just goes and he tells his brothers, you know what? Look at me. This is, this is what God says about me. Look at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you're, you're just a piece of dirt, man. God, man, no plant. You know, look at, you know. And, and he tells them these stories. So you kind of have this tattletale in Jesus, in a, and Joseph kind of telling them that God's plans for them and all this. And, and the brothers, they already don't like him. But now this guy's getting dreams and telling them that they are below him, that they're going to bow down to him in all these different dreams. Um, so one day, Jacob says to his uh, says to, to Joseph, hey, go check on your brothers, because Joseph liked doing this anyway, because he's the little brother. He likes going up, bugging his, you know, he likes to push their buttons. He probably knows what they're, you know, he, you know how many of you have a little brother, and you, you, you understand that? How many of you are little brothers, and you understand that? I was. I, I got it. I know my sisters. I have six older sisters. I could push their buttons like you would not believe, and I, you know, I knew how to do that, and uh, I just didn't have the rainbow coat. Um, at least I don't think I had one. Anyway, um, so Joseph kind of enjoyed doing this. So he's going up, and he's going to go talk to his brothers. And his brothers see him coming. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe that he was wearing, and they took him, and they threw him into the cistern. Yeah, you guys, see? What, what is it? Now the cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. Yeah, that's pretty good news, right? I would say. i got to find some good news in there. Now, imagine how Joseph must have felt sitting in the bottom of this pit. His brothers just took him, beat him up, threw him in this thing. 
Can you imagine the, the pain of rejection he feels as a result of this violent and, and vicious act committed against him by his older brothers? How, how Joseph must have felt in that moment, in that time? You know, why me? Why me? Why me? The, his life, and here it is, his life was altered by someone else. It wasn't him. Because a lot of times, it's our fault because we've done something, right? But here, it's not Joseph's fault. His life is altered because of somebody else's choice. This wasn't even his deal. And he's sitting there going, why me, why me, why me? You've been there, right? Not necessarily in the bottom of the pit. But you kind of know that why me feeling. You know, you're lying in bed late at night, and you're staring at the ceiling, unable to sleep, and you're silently praying to God, why me? Why me, God? Why now? And you may also have been in a lonely place where you screamed out, God, where are you? Why aren't you listening? Why have you abandoned me? When life isn't turning out the way we hoped, when life isn't turning out to be our plan A, we almost always default to feeling as if God has abandoned us, don't we? And here's the truth I want you to hear today. Even though we feel like God has abandoned us, yet the truth is that God is more powerfully present even when he seems most apparently absent. God is most powerfully present even when he seems the most apparently absent. He's always working. Even when we can't see him or feel him, all the circumstantial evidence of our life says otherwise. God is working. So Joseph, he gets sold by his brothers uh, into slavery. Here's what it says. Now Joseph, so he gets sold by his brothers into slavery. That's, come on, that's, there you go, bad news, right? Chapter 39, verses 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Here, if you have your Bibles, underline this phrase, because you're going to see this phrase come up again and again and again. It says this, The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. Good news! Did you catch that? The Lord was with Joseph. And again, you see it throughout this story. And I'm thinking, the Lord is with Joseph? I mean, if you think about it, and when I was growing up, this story kind of messed with me a little bit. And if you really spend a lot of time thinking about this, this story could really mess with your theology if you let it. I mean, didn't Joseph just get beaten up and, and, and sold by his brothers into slavery? Didn't he just get captured and taken to a foreign land? Wasn't he a slave? I mean, the Lord was with him for years. You know, I always assume that when, when the Lord is with you, things were going great. You're like at home watching Glee on TV. That's what, you know, when, when the Lord is with you, you know. Um, it meant your parents weren't going to get a divorce. It meant you've gotten into the college of your choice, the college that you've always dreamed of. You married the guy or the girl that you always wanted to. You bought the house that you wanted to buy. You know, if God is with you, that meant you got the corner office that you've always wanted. We think of all sorts, uh, you know, we, we think about, we have all this sort of agreement with God. If I live with a somewhat moral life, 
You know, if, I, if then God is with me if I do that. You, you need to, you know, and God, if I'm going to live my moral life, I'm going to live according to what you, then you need to keep up your end of the bargain and keep blessing my life and keep anything bad from happening to me because I'm doing my deal here. And you may not want to hear this because you just want to hear, hey, if you live a good life, if you live a moral life, you follow God, life is good. Life, there's no problems. There's no sickness, no illness, no divorce, no fighting, no, you know, whatever it is. You may not want to hear this, but let me just be really honest with you. The process, the journey of becoming the person that God wants you to become rarely comes from success, 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 success. But it comes from success, failure. Success, heartbreak. Success, pain. Success, letdown. Verses 3. Verse 3. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, there's that phrase again, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Good news. The master, let's get this, the master noticed something different about this kid. So he promotes him. And I think this is a really important thing for us to note. Potiphar notices something different about Joseph. Listen. If you live your life differently, if you live your life with the intent that I am confident that God is with me, you live your life like that, people will notice because you live your life differently. Your response, listen, your response to your plan B matters and people are watching. Your response to your plan B matters. Notice, Joseph wasn't trying to run away. He could say, oh man, this stinks. This isn't fair. You know, a week ago I owned slaves, now I are one? You know, what's the deal with that? You know, um, screw this, I'm out of here. He could have said that. You know, you don't understand. My brothers beat me up, I shouldn't be here. You know, maybe tells, you know, his master, hey, I'm going to go on a little horse ride. He just takes off and goes back home. Jo Joseph probably could have done any of those things. Nope. He wasn't trying to escape. <laughs> he didn't even have a bad attitude, which I know that I would have. Joseph may have been stripped of his coat, but not his identity. He may have been rejected and abandoned by his family, but he never stopped depending on his God. He just did what anyone would do in that circumstances that was confident that God was with them, and people noticed. And even though life certainly isn't turning out the way that he assumed it would, he's making a choice to respond in all circumstances as if God is with him. I'm going to show my hand a little bit early, and I usually like to unveil what the big point, what the bottom line of the message is. If you don't get anything else from what I'm going to say today, here it is. If you're going to nod off and take a nap, here, here it is. When you are in adversity, in the midst of a dream slipping away, in the midst of a plan B, you only have one assignment. 
to do what anyone would do that was confident that God was with them. Let me read it to you. Chapter 39, verse 5. Here's what it says. From that time, he made him an overseer. Potiphar made him an overseer in his house and over all that the Lord blessed. And here's what it says. He made him overseer of the house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and field. Was the blessing necessarily on Joseph? It wasn't, was it? It was on Potiphar's house. You know, and our tendency is to say, God, why don't you bless me? Look at me, here, me, a little blessing here. Why don't you bless me? You know what the most asked question that I get asked uh, by, you know, from people. What's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? And if you want to know, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you, if you want to know God's will for your life, you know what the first step you need to do? You need to know God. That's it. You want to know God's will for your life? The first step is to know God. After that, I don't have any steps. I'm <laughs> It's a one-step process. I want to show you this video clip. And some of you have seen this video clip before. Uh, it was like a big hit on YouTube a while ago, but uh, this is David after the dentist. And listen to what this kid says. This is pretty interesting. Surgery. Yeah, I know. How did it go? I didn't feel anything. Yeah. Uh, I feel Kind of felt good, didn't it? Yeah, this is real life. Okay, now... Okay, now I... I have two fingers. Good. No, four fingers. Four fingers? Nuh-uh-uh. -uh -uh. Don't put that in... Don't put it in your mouth. Okay? You feel good? I can't see... Anything. Yes, you can. Stay in your seat. I don't feel tired. You don't? Uh, no? Do I have stitches? Uh-huh. Do I have stitches? Yes. Yeah, don't touch it. Don't. Why can't I touch it? Because it'll mess up the stitches. You have four eyes. Yeah. I, I feel funny. Why is this happening to me? It's okay, bud. It's just from the medicine. Okay? Is this going to be forever? No. <laughs> No, it won't be forever. Oh. <laughs> You've been there, haven't you? I mean, this kid comes from the dentist, has Novocaine or laughing gas, whatever he has, but in this little couple minutes, he kind of sums up a series of life events, doesn't he? Why is this happening to me? Is this real life? 
Oh, look over there, something shiny. You know, it kind of gets distracted for a little bit, but we come back. Is this going to last forever? What's happening? I feel funny. And we've been there. That's, you know, we, what's God's will for my life? Because you're asking those questions. And the thing is, Joseph could have asked those questions. But I never see Joseph doing that. Joseph doesn't seem to be concerned about that at all. And we, we often miss, miss the, this in the midst of our plan B. When our plan A is not working out and, we're, and the plan B thing is happening, we often miss this. But it's more about who you're becoming than where you're going and what's happening to you. It's more about our character than the circumstances. Because God is more concerned with your character than he is your circumstances. And if you could just grasp that one truth, that might set you free. Let's move on. Here it is, uh, verse 6. So he left everything, Potiphar left everything of Joseph's care, everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Good news, right? Yeah, well-built guy, handsome. Woohoo! And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Hey, come to bed with me. Some of you guys over here are kind of like, oh, wait a minute. Good for you. It says, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in the house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? No. This situation alone makes Joseph a hero in my book. Somehow, somehow Joseph, with no church, with no men's accountability group, with no community group, with no Bible, with no Ten Commandments posted, with no Footprints in the Sand poster over his bed, somehow he refuses. He refuses temptation. He had no one to call. Say, listen, this is what's happening. The wife, man, he wouldn't believe it. I'm a handsome man, and this wife, she's no, no. He states, how could I sin against my God? Who, by the way, hasn't done much for me lately? I added that in, because that would have been me. You know, why, why would he declare his commitment to God? It appears as if God has abandoned him. Somehow, this 20-something-year-old kid got something that we often miss. He understood his responsibility was not to re-engineer the circumstances to fit for him or to figure it all out. His responsibility was not to control and not to manipulate that which he could not control and manipulate. We talked about that last week. His responsibility was simple, but not easy. What would anyone do in these circumstances what would they do if they were confident that God was with them? Let's be honest. Man, it's so hard to remain faithful. To, and it's hard to, to seek God and to follow God when you feel like God has abandoned you. It's hard to remain faithful to God when it feels like God has not been faithful to you. I mean, one of my favorite talking head songs, you know, says, this isn't my beautiful house. This isn't my beautiful wife. How did I get here? You know, and that's kind of, you know, what I would, if I was Joseph, that's what I would have been doing. I would have been quoting David Byrne saying, oh, how did I get here? You know, doing my big suit, you know. Some of you remember the video, awesome. Um, 
This isn't my job that I wanted. This isn't the house I wanted. This isn't the family that I wanted. This isn't the, the life I had mapped out for me. Honestly, some of my biggest regrets in my life come from seasons in my life where I spiritually gave God my middle finger. I showed him my tall finger spiritually. Is, that's some of the biggest regrets in my life because I thought God had abandoned me. I didn't understand that he was still there because I wasn't confident. Listen, and every day you have a choice. You, you can either make choices based on your interpretation and your circumstances and that things are bad and they're getting worse, or you can make the choice based on God's promises that he is with me. Even though I don't feel it, I don't see the circumstances to back it up, but I'm going to make the choice based on God's promises that he is with me, and my responsibility is just to live believing that. Verse 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her, even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, Come to bed with me, you ruggedly handsome man. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And we talk about that all the time. When temptation comes, run away. Just make sure to take your cloak with you. Um, when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. Over here. Bad news, right? Now listen, Joseph is framed. He is sentenced to prison for the exact thing he had self-control not to do. And he's in prison for doing it anyway. Isn't this not the point where you just want to throw up your hands and just go, dude, walk away? You know, isn't this the point where you say, why am I a Christian? Why do I pray? Why do I try to do what is right? Why do I go to church? It's not making any difference. You were faithful to your husband, and he still cheated on you. You tithed, and you still went bankrupt. You prayed for your kids all the time, but they still went astray. You were loyal to the company for years and years and years, and they still fired you. You were pure in your dating relationship, but she still dumped you. There's a quote, one of my favorite books, The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. I'm just going to read the last line because he's talking about this whole idea of mine and my and all these things and kind of how we look at God. And here's the last line. Talking about God gives us gifts and God does things for us. Here's what it says. God's gifts now take the place of God. And the whole course of nature is upset by this monstrous situation. See, we want God's gifts but we don't want God's circumstances or we don't want the character God wants. We just want the stuff, you know? And if I'm honest with myself, and probably if you're honest with yourself, my worship, my prayer, my crying out to God is really not about God. It's about me. I don't want God. I want what I think God can give me. Because so many times in my life, I've looked at God as a vending machine. You know, Thanks, God. Verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Again, thanks again, God. I've seen that already. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. 
Now, if you were Joseph, God, don't be with me anymore. Go be with somebody else. I need a break. Since, since you have been with me, I've been beaten, I've been sold into slavery, falsely accused, now I'm in prison. Tell you what, go be with my brothers. I don't want you to be with me in prison. I would rather be without you at home than be with you in prison. I don't want you to grant me favor in your eyes of the prison warden. I don't want to know a prison warden. I don't want that for my life. You can see how frustrating this would be. But Joseph keeps moving forward, you know, doing what anyone would do that was confident that God was with them. Verse 22, So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. That's good news. Do you know what Joseph did in prison? He did what anyone would do if they were confident that God was with them. Here's what Joseph knew, and we completely miss this a lot in our walk in our life. It is only when we trust and look for God in the circumstances that we find Him. It's only when, when we respond to circumstances as if He was there, we see Him in those circumstances. It's only when we expect it that we experience that in our lives. Genesis chapter 40, Joseph ends up making a couple friends uh, in prison. Uh, and if you're going to make friends in prison, you know, why not the winemaker and the bread baker? You know, I mean, those are, you can have communion all the time. It's pretty awesome. And both of these friends have a dream. And they come to Joseph, and they want him to interpret the dream. And, and the wine tester, the, the cupbearer, he receives great news. The other guy, not so much. Uh, Joseph tells the wine tester that he's going to be set free. And, and Joseph says, but you're going to be set free, and I have one request, one thing I want to ask you. Verse 14. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to the Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. This is the first time I hear Joseph even with an inkling of complaining. This is the first time, and he's kind of just stating the facts. Could you just do me this one favor? Just remember me. Just remember me. And I think, how many times in your life have you said this to God? Could you just do this one thing? I just need this one thing. Just turn my son around. Just get me the job. Just shift the circumstances this one time. Just, God, I need a break just this one time. God, make the cancer go away this one time. God, make my marriage work just this one thing. God, the finances are horrible. If you could just do something at the bank where they wouldn't know about it, make, you know, magically do something there in the computer, God, you can do that. No one will know. Just do this one thing, God. One thing for me, please, just one thing. Remember me, do this one thing. And the wine tester is like, yeah, you bet, no problem. Three days later, the wine tester, the cupbearer, is let go. Verse 23. The chief cupbearer, he's the wine tester, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Bad news. Joseph had to be thinking after all I have been through, God, and after I, I've been so faithful, and, and I'm asking you for this, I'm only asking for this wine tester to remember me. That's it. Why? 
why is this happening to me? Is this real life? You know? Is this going to last forever? God, I know you have the power. Why? 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 Let me tell you a quick story, and I have permission to uh, tell the story. Uh, There's a couple in our church this week uh, that had a miscarriage. Uh, David and Carrie Evans. Um, And they have been trying for a long time. And as I'm writing this message, I'm thinking about them. They've been trying forever to have a baby. They went to fertility doctors, the whole thing, and finally they got pregnant. And she's had miscarriages before. And they waited to tell after the first trimester. They thought things were okay then. We, this, is our, this is the plan. This is our new plan A. This is, this is, this is good. This is God is good. This is good. And this is going to work out. And lot, you know, lot, she had a little tummy. It was so per- perfect. And uh, I got a text on Wednesday that um, amniotic fluid had leaked. Uh, basically, there was nothing protecting the baby anymore. The baby had a strong heartbeat, all these things. And, uh, and Thursday night, she actually gave birth uh, to the baby, knowing that it wasn't going to live. And we spent some time with them yesterday afternoon. And walking in, not knowing what to expect when you go into those circumstances, you know, what, you know, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking about this, man. God, what's the deal? And I'm, and I'm, I'm the pastor, supposed to walk in and comfort him. I just like going, you know, God, you're a jerk, you know? And, you know, it's one of those times that I want to give God the middle finger again. Go, why? This couple would be such a great parents. God, what in the world are you doing? But I'm going, oh, yeah, I'm doing this message. What would anyone do who is confident God is with them doing this situation? So we walk in and we talk to them. And there's this whole situation, and, and they didn't want to know the, the sex of the baby, but it got leaked that it was a boy. And so then they said, now we have to deal with that because now this is real. So now we have to do a naming thing and, and uh, you know, burial and have to deal with funeral homes and do all that because it's, it's real to us now. And I'm just sitting there, oh, grieving for them. And you know, you know what they said? We know God has a plan. We know this is just one of those things. God is good. God is in the midst of this. God has a great plan, and we're not done. And I thought I was going to go there and minister to them. And it was amazing to me, here's a couple that could, has every reason to be mad, and say, God, why have you abandoned us? But yet they're seeing God in the circumstances, talking about, you know, people that were there that they were able to show God to, and their family, and just all these other things. And I'm just going, God, you are, because they understood something. They were confident that God was with them in the midst of their circumstances, so why not act like it and not live that out? And I'm saying, if they can do it, why can't I? Why do I forget that? So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your deal is. And I don't know what your plan B has become. And some of you are haunted right now by the thought that God could have done something, but he didn't. Here's why this is important. If this hasn't already happened to you, it will happen. You are going to feel like your prayers are bouncing right back off the ceiling and nothing is changing in your circumstances. You're, 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 going to, you're not going to understand why a God who could do something didn't do something and nothing is happening. You have been praying about a dream 
and you feel like this dream is slipping away, and you've been praying about this unmet expectation, but nothing is happening. And every one of us has made a very important decision, and that decision, and we need to make this decision, has huge implications on how you will process your life. We must decide this. If we're going to put our faith in what God does or who God is. We must choose whether to put our faith in God's identity and not into his activity. What would someone in your circumstances, in your plan B, do if they were confident that God was with them? What are you going through? I don't know what you're going through. Is what you're doing God's will for your life? I don't know. Will it be over soon? I don't know. Here's what I do know. How you respond will make a difference more than you will ever know. And I just want to have a moment here. We're going to wrap up. I want to have a moment here of complete honesty. And I just want to have a mass confession. How many of you would be willing to raise your hands right now and say this? I'm facing a situation where I feel like I'm all alone and God really doesn't get it. It feels like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Anybody confident enough and bold enough to raise their hand saying, that's where I am right now? Just lift your hand up. Yeah. We're going we're to pray for you in just a minute. Here's what I want to tell you. What does someone do that's facing a plan B? They're facing the plan B that I'm facing. If they were completely confident that God was with them, what does someone do in your marriage or with your kids or with your financial situation or with your family crisis or your career or your health? Or, you know, what do you do if you're completely confident that God is with you? You know what to do. If you're confident that God is completely with you, then here's what you need to do. Take a deep breath and do it. Live what you believe. Live like God is with you. Be more concerned about the work God is doing in and through you than your circumstances. And if you do that, you will discover that God is more powerfully present when he seems most apparently absent. I'm just telling you. We need to get this. I'm going to ask a good friend of mine, Bill. He's going to come up. I asked him to come up and to pray for us. Because one thing I know about Bill, man, I, he just... He's a man after God's own heart, and he is just, uh, I just felt like I need to have God, had Bill come and pray for us. And for those of you who raised your hands, come on up, brother, and let's, let's just pray. Let's just. I appreciate um, the opportunity. I appreciate, Brett, what you talked about. And <clears throat> as I was listening to this message, um, I'm living plan B right now. Um, and I didn't want to live plan B. But I'm living plan B. And, and um, it's like a roller coaster ride every day. And you're just going down the bend. And I don't have to just pray, do I? Can I share <laughs> just something? I, he gave me a mic. Um, <laughs> But you know, along the way, there was a time where I show this picture because this is the picture that was given me 
at 12 years old and somebody asked me if I wanted to open my heart's door to Jesus. And there's a picture of Jesus standing at, at a door and, and, um, and he's knocking on the door and, and one day I open that door and there's been times in my life where I've shut that door. There's been times where I, I just, I did the middle finger thing and I shut the door and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. But I always come back to this picture because he's always standing there and he's always wanting me. And I think today there's some people here today that, that maybe you've never opened that door. Is there anybody here that's never opened that door and you'd like one of these cards to carry in your wallet? I'm not going to make you come up here, but I want to give you one of these cards and I, I want to just pray a simple prayer with you that you would like one of these cards to carry with you in your wallet so that when the enemy comes to you, this is a thing that says a certificate of rebirth or today I, I open that door. Is there anybody here that wants one of those? And I'll just give it to you and, and then we'll pray. Anybody here like that? Okay. Nobody here that you want to just say, God, I want to open that door today and I'll be confident in you. Anybody here? Okay. Can I just run this back to you? Okay, anybody else? I have a whole pocket full, so I don't feel like I'm going to run out. Okay, there you go. You want one of those too? Do you want one? Anyone else? anybody maybe there's somebody here today that you you've just slammed that door in his face and it's not that's not bad <laughs> because God has a personal relationship with you and and he wants to know what you're you're feeling and and um because he knows what you're feeling already. So why lie? <laughs> so is there anybody here that you want to just reopen the door and say, God, I'm sorry, and I want, you to, I want you to just come back and hang with me? Is anybody here like that? Okay. Anybody else? Because God has a plan B for you that's way better than plan A. <laughs> my, my plan B, Brett, it, it's, it's blowing my mind. Every day, it, it's just blowing my mind. And I'm so excited for you and your plan B. Anybody else? I want you to repeat after me. I want us all to repeat after me. Dear Jesus, today I reopen the door for you to just be in my circumstances. Forgive my shortcomings. Be the Lord of my life. Change me forever. 
help me to live plan B like, like I didn't live before. Totally realizing what would I do if you were walking with me every day? Because you are. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, today there's been some commitments to you. Even if that one didn't feel like they wanted to take a card today, but they made that commitment to you right now, I pray right now that you would surround them with your care, that you would just guide and direct them, God, that you would let them know that, that you are a father that has compassion on them. You're not a God that has abandoned them, even though it seems like it. Sometimes, God, you walk with them, you care for them. And Father, I pray for that person who walked in here today that just feels that way. God, surround them with your peace right now. Just wrap your arms of love around them. Hold them close, God. We're so thankful for second chances, third chances, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. So many chances you give us. Father, we commit our lives to you today, and we just praise you for what you're going to do. I thank you so much for this church and for what it's going to do in this community as we get on fire for you, as we do what you've called us to do, as we live our plan Bs. Be with us now. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.